Mel Robin. Josh here. I'm just jumping in to let you know that this is the second episode of our miniseries Blackout Time Passes. And while this isn't a serialized story, it is chronological, so if you're just jumping in now, I would highly recommend going back to episode one, Spring. Now, in case you forgot them, the people you'll hear from in this episode are our author, of course, Ellen, her sister Andrea, her mother Beth, her husband John, her uncle Hank, and her son Dez. So, without any further ado, here's Blackout, Time Passes, Episode 2, Summer. In 66, I was with this friend from Bakersfield, um, an African-American woman, and she was also a teacher at Bakersfield High. And we went, we had an arrangement to meet some other friends at a specific motel in San Francisco. And so she and I went there in the morning just to check in. You know, we didn't have a reservation. I mean, this long before cell phones and such. So anyway, we walked in to make a reservation and the desk clerk said they didn't have any room. And so we went to another motel, and when we were in the car, she said, well, this time I won't go in with you. And so that made me realize that if you had a black face, there were issues that you had to confront. May 30th, the tinderbox. Unbelievably, Denver under curfew tonight and tomorrow night. National Guard called in. Hundreds of young people lay in front of the Capitol today for eight minutes and 46 seconds to mark the time George Floyd spent lying belly down on the asphalt with a cop's knee crushing his airway. Trump taunts DC protesters, daring them to come closer, telling them the Secret Service are spoiling for a fight, inviting MAGAs to come counter-protest. I think because of the pandemic and people were maybe paying more attention to what was going on outside their immediate sphere because there wasn't much going on inside their immediate sphere. So that generated a lot of um, anger and maybe enthusiasm or obligation to demonstrate, to protest because we had seen that video. It was taken by that brave young woman. And um, that was pretty shocking. And so I think that generated a lot of unrest that was kind of simmering for various reasons beneath the surface. That's right, the whole summer, on and off, there were issues and there were other people killed or other investigations opened into previous killings and it all seemed pretty murky that the police were not being held accountable for their actions. May 31st, Ali was shot multiple times on Friday and is in the ICU. 
I texted Bobby and he sent me such a plaintive reply about the endangerment that is part of his life, the fear, the hopelessness. I think of the nature of policing, or armed policing, how implacable it seems, like a pillar of our society. I cannot imagine what America would be without its bloodthirstiness, its cycle of brutality and amnesiac good cheer, its emphasis on moving past, moving forward. There's a terrible void under all the posturing, the happy endings we insist upon. Summer vacation starts tomorrow. Whatever summer vacation is, whatever tomorrow is, the first of June, another installment in an endless today. June 1st. The eight o'clock howl appears to be officially over. We have moved into the massive civil unrest level of the game. Now summer is here, and the restless roving feeling hot nights bring, like the first hot night of the year in Chicago where suddenly everyone was out, looking, assessing, instead of just rushing from building to building with their shoulders hunched. In D.C., Trump, after being hunkered down in an underground bunker for 48 hours, ventured out for a photo op at a historic church within walking distance of the White House. The route was crowded with peaceful protesters. The police fired tear gas canisters and flash grenades at the protesters to clear Trump's path. Is this it? Is this the point where we pivot to the next thing? Once Trump got to the church, he stood awkwardly in front of the boarded-up doors, holding a Bible like someone who has never held a Bible might hold a Bible. He held it like a brick, like he was going to hit someone with it. Something was accomplished, I think. I mean, Johnson did something for civil rights and affirmative action, and people who were qualified had the opportunity to go to school and and um, to universities and to professional colleges or you know law school, um, med school, and so on. That those opportunities were there, and so we've made progress in that sense, I think. However, I don't know. I mean, I since that one experience that I had in San Francisco at the motel, it makes you realize um, what still happens now to people who have black faces or dark skin, that they're pulled over more often by the police and followed in stores and no matter where you are in life, you know, if you're middle class, upper middle class or whatever, if you are a person of color, you have more issues to deal with. So I remember seeing this this white guy, this old white guy, and he was all outraged because he couldn't go to his pancake house. Do you remember that? And it was like, um, you know, I served this country and I have a right as American to go to my pancake house. And I can't remember if it was because it was closed because of COVID or because there he refused to wear a mask or whatever it was. But it's, you know... I have a ride to my pancakes. And, you know, it's like this false equivalency to civil rights. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's my right. Um, you know, my rights are being violated. You know, it's like it's like they're the like like this guy's the Rosa Parks of IHOP or something. You know, it's just 
it's just it's just ridiculous to have that kind of to be equating that situation to civil rights, the fight for civil rights. June 5th, on a call with my co-workers, it struck me that the non-white people have to give their children and grandchildren the talk on how to behave, such as to minimize the likelihood of being victimized by police. We have to give Des the talk on how not to victimize, how not to use the incredible power he was born with to inflict harm, intentionally or unintentionally. June 7th, finally got out to march today. Some DPS students organized a gathering for all students, parents, and teachers. It was hot and sunny. We parked on Detroit right by East, walked down to the Greek amphitheater. The density of the memories walking down that street, looking at those familiar storefronts, was almost unbearable, hearkening back to when John and I met nearly 23 years ago. Pete's, of course, the Letonia, the green-roofed check-cashing place now boarded up and graffitied and enclosed by a chain-link fence, the bank at Park Ave that I relied on for its large digital clock in the days when I had neither watch nor cell phone, the Polish bar where I ate soggy pierogies while three months pregnant, the Ogden and the Fillmore, Charlie's. That so many of these places were boarded up and covered with murals did not bother me. It felt right, these transformations. The luminous mural of George Floyd looking straight at me from the side of a sandwich shop. It was a calm and orderly march. Every single person wore a mask. In sharp contrast to the anti-vaccine rally on the east steps of the Capitol, all manicured, maskless white ladies wearing yellow and black killed bill shirts in celebration of past legislative victories where they've, yes, killed bills or bill that would have made it harder to opt out of vaccinations. The children were very white, with very plump legs, and they carried American flags. We should have carried American flags because it belongs to us, too. June 8th. A desperate sense that time is just slipping by at an unnatural rate. Spring just disappeared. When the days are so empty of anything but thinking and watching and reading, my thoughts and everyone else's are so closely knit together I can't keep anything straight. Some days I look at Des and he looks like a man, his childhood receding at this unnatural pace. I picture a speeder bike rocketing across the desert of Tatooine, an image from The Mandalorian that is so keen I feel like I've been there. June 9th, 44 degrees and dumping rain. At least today is distinguishing itself. Today marks the 12th consecutive day of protest following George Floyd's murder, so I forgot to mention 109,000 people have now died of the coronavirus. June 14th, Rayshard Brooks, 27, killed by police in Atlanta. He was drunk, though not sloppily so, and had fallen asleep at the wheel at a Wendy's drive through they woke him, he was friendly and compliant, asked if he could just lock up the car and walk to his sister's house. They wanted to handcuff him and take him in instead, and they struggled. He grabbed a taser, ran and got off a flailing shot into the air. On the body cam footage, it looked like a foot-long lightning rod that missed the pursuing officer by a mile. He shot Rayshard Brooks three times and killed him. That was Friday night. He was supposed to celebrate his daughter's birthday yesterday. The Wendy's has been burned to the ground. If he had been white, could he have locked the car, walked to his sister's? Would that have been granted him?
June 16th. Things I miss. Public transportation. The library. Going to Eisenhower Pool in the late afternoon and letting that so chlorinated it burns water bring my core temperature down until the blistering sun actually begins to feel good. June 19th. Killed a horrible centipede in the upstairs bathroom first thing this morning. Killed it without hesitation or mercy. June 20th. Yesterday was Juneteenth. The celebrations are front and center for the first time in my life. The English Premier League players in the game on TV tonight have Black Lives Matter written on the backs of their shirts instead of their names. Went to La Alma Park, sat on the Norwegian blanket and ate as children played on that very old futuristic playground and a large group of people celebrated someone's birthday with volleyball and sun-kissed and a grocery store cake. Then to Buntport, where we backed into a parking space facing a strip of lawn, received an in-car speaker and watched the four of them embody grasshoppers for 35 minutes while Aaron's narration gently emanated from the speakers. Meanwhile, Trump had his first campaign rally in months in Tulsa. The 19,000-seat arena was half empty. Rumor on Twitter is that the teenagers and K-pop fans bought up the free tickets by the hundreds, then let them go unused. That stadium could have been filled six times over with the COVID-19 dead. June 24th, celebrated Da's birthday a day early. When we arrived with takeout from Kiki's, he was in the bathroom shaving. By the time he made the trek out to the backyard to join us, we were well into our tonkatsu and udon and gyoza. He seemed happy, though, so did Mum. It was warm but gray and increasingly blustery. Napkins and takeout containers blew across the lawn, and my mother, in her lemon shirt, was giddy, laughing. I took a brief video of both parents smiling, the tablecloth flipping up, Mum's hair wild. We went inside for cake, devil's food with mocha frosting, eight inches, two layers, a ring of somewhat juvenile but also lovely multicolored star-shaped sprinkles in a ring around the perimeter. Des helped me make the cake, sifting the cocoa and the flour separately, measuring slow and careful. So we celebrated my husband's birthday somehow. I don't remember exactly. But we acknowledged that that was June 25th. And then, uh, I guess baseball started in July so we could watch the baseball games on television, which had been canceled in March, April, May, June. And um, so we we watched some TV and I did some gardening. I had vegetables growing in the garden. We watched the rabbits. The foxes took over the neighborhood. Um, Mama Fox and her three kits just completely ruling and all the people in their houses (laughs) um, and Mama Fox ruling the neighborhood. So I don't, you know, I don't know. And then I went and got some plants at an outdoor, new outdoor plant. nursery sort of that set up in the parking lot and did that and then you know the summer aside from that I don't I don't remember too much about it we really we didn't go anywhere aside and then I started going to the grocery store and that was a big outing and it was very depressing in March the second March when the shooting in Boulder happened because King Supers for all of us was our one big outing, you know, and 
We kept going, but you had to think, huh, that happened, didn't it? June 25th, a warm, still morning, dirt still dark and damp from last night's rain, ripped out the peas and the lettuce this morning, summer advances. Yesterday, New York and New Jersey banned travelers. Wrong, didn't ban them, but added a requirement that people traveling in from certain states must quarantine for 14 days upon arrival. Colorado is not on the list yet. Andrea and I were agonizing over our upcoming trip, whether we should cancel or not. I said, well, maybe Phil Murphy will make the decision for us. Maybe he will yet. June 27th, Rocky Mountain National Park on a Saturday early afternoon and went up to Emerald Lake in a swarm, a pack, a mob of people. The park is at 60% capacity, they say, and we had a timed reservation to get in, but the crowds feel no less. Lake was impressive as usual, however. Hallett Peak to the left, fine rocky turrets to the right, water crystal clear to the bottom, fish in their shadows clearly visible, steep pitches of rock, banks of moss. A mass of bleached white logs lay parallel along one side of the lake, slapping gently against the shore. And people everywhere, everywhere. Big groups of 20-somethings, multi-generational families, young couples with toddlers who insist on walking old couples slow and steady in the middle of the path. Our family loves to go hiking up in the mountains. And so in the summer of 2020, we we went out and we found that since I guess a lot of activities here in town were closed, that a lot more people were going up into the mountains. So we kind of ran into even more crowds than usual up there, which was kind of depressing. Rocky Mountain National Park had this um, timed entry thing, and it looks like now they're they're going to keep that in place. They're probably just sick of all the, the every summer it's just more and more people coming through the park, and they're trying to figure out you know now they can use that as an excuse maybe to control the numbers of people coming in. Um, I, I I moved here in 1993. And one of the main reasons was Rocky Mountain National Park. Now it's become kind of so overrun with people that I, I'm, I find that we're going there less and less. June 28th. The upshot is coronavirus cases are up something like 65% worldwide over the past 14 days. Texas is a mess. Houston out of ICU beds. It seems many of the sacrifices were in vain. Those of us who diligently stayed home for three months will likely end up no better off than those who crowded, maskless and sweaty, into bars, screaming over loud music, coating their companions with respiratory droplets. I, of course, picture shiny, leering, red-faced what's-his-name on his yacht, maybe wearing a little hat like Captain Steubing. July 2nd. Not sure what was happening last night on I-25, but it sounded like a screaming drag race for a full half hour. Perhaps it was simply a 30-minute-long screaming drag race. I finally put in earplugs, but I felt like I could still hear it. July 3rd. In a month, we are supposed to be in my beloved Wildwood. The thought of that cold Atlantic water enveloping me almost makes me weep. The dog days of summer approach, 
the grass pales, almost silver, the dirt pale and light, the tops of the Veronica scorched. Last night we slept under just a sheet. Trump at Mount Rushmore tonight excoriating the radical left fascism, if I'm remembering the phrase. That phrase makes no sense. Extraordinary to see the dog whistling, hear the dog whistling on display. The leader of the Ogallala Sioux called him and Christy Nome the great white father and the sycophantic sister. July 4th. Happy birthday, America, whoever you are. Fitting that the smell of Independence Day is gunpowder and other burning things. The wind is wild and disconsolate right now at about 5 p.m. If it keeps up, unwelcome fires might spark later. Went to Gina and Michael's this evening to take in the DIY fireworks show on the west side. What a fun and exhilarating night. No crowds, no cheesy patriotic music. Just explosions and fire in the sky and weird green lights skidding along the sidewalks and the reflected colors on our faces and yards full of silhouetted children with sparklers, adults lighting fuses, everyone taking in the beauty and the chaos and the heart-skipping terror. America the Beautiful. July 6th, a cool morning at the beginning of what's predicted to be an unrelentingly hot week. How did we get here? Squirrel clips a giant leaf off the sunflower and runs up onto the roof of the shed, pauses, and starts eating it. New Jersey trip looking less and less likely. I haven't told John because I don't want to kick the inevitable cancellation process into gear. As long as I haven't told him, there's hope. Andrew and I talked it over yesterday, and there's just no way to bring the excursion into the acceptable risk zone, whatever that even means these days. Told John, who told Des, before I was ready for him to. He cried as he ate his lunch. I didn't then, but I cried later. The relentless baking hot forecast, thoughts of the cold, cold Atlantic floating on my back out where the waves form, perpendicular to the shore with my flexed feet facing toward England. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. I watch my beautiful neighbor home after a full day teaching preschoolers, sighing as she mows her lawn. I need to shut up. Not here, though I guess I don't have to shut up here. Fuck. I can complain all I want here. Feel sorry for myself as I want. Ugh. I'm sick of metacognition and that relentless analytical chip, chip, chip. Outside at sunset now, it's probably 85 degrees and I feel a chill. Now that the sun is down, it feels more like I'll be able to stand it. Keep going day after empty day. I remember there's that one day where it was like, okay, we're not going to do any trips this summer. There was that one day where I had the sudden realization, like, okay, the chance is very small. And then it got to the point where it's like, okay, no. It's that we're not going to be able to to do any sort of traveling this summer that's out of the state without being severely at risk. Um, and that was low, because I, I always look uh, forward to that every year. And yeah, it sucked. July 10th. No birds at the feet of this morning, no bunnies eating weeds, no squirrels decapitating sunflowers, forecast high of 100 degrees, 133,000 deaths from COVID-19, have to officially cancel Jersey trip, do the taxes. Christ. Trump pardoned Roger Stone. 60,000 plus new cases of COVID-19, 
deeply skeptical that schools will be safe to open in five short weeks. July feels permanent, endless. July 11th. Went down to the South Fork of the Platte today and dunked our cooked bodies in the cold, cold water. It smelled that sweet vegetal river smell instead of the fishy, salt smell of the Atlantic, but the way the water shocked me to the core was just like swimming in Jersey. I left my wet swimsuit on for the ride home in the air conditioning, then wore it around for a bit after we got back, took a warm shower, and the cold is still there like a thread of ice right through the middle of my body. I took a proper nap for about 45 minutes under a blanket, 133,666 deaths and counting. July 12th. Enough cloud cover to contain the heat, the sunset at its very last gasp. The sky mostly gray, blue, and still, but the very edges of the clouds are vivid pink. Ruffled underfeathers, that's what they look like. Blessed relief and a weird type of happiness. Buoyed by red wine, certainly, rolls up. Thank you, beautiful, abused, dying planet. We do not deserve you. A very vivid memory suddenly visiting the sunset outdoor pool with Grandma in Longmont. She wore a swim cap with Daisy's affix to it and bright opaque lipstick and swam the side stroke. Hot, bright Colorado summer days. Today I finished a play and did the taxes and the crossword puzzle and played and won, with a little cheating, a round of Mansions of Madness and talked to my mother and my sister and exercised and read the news and watched a short video of someone from the Wisconsin Republican Party standing at a lectern and saying, Let's talk about Donald John Trump! then dissolving into uncontrolled coughing, and I fixed the drawer on Dez's dresser and pulled out a lot of his old clothes to give away and made a balanced dinner and unloaded, unloaded the dishwasher and pulled weeds and held up the potatoes and rinsed off the filthy pavers out back and listened to blinding lights only three times on my headphones so I should be able to drink the, to the edge of drunkenness and read fan fiction without guilt. July 15th. The Denver Public Schools continue to insist that the schools will be opening in a month. Read an op-ed in the Times yesterday asserting that if the U.S. had done things right the first time, we would be preparing for a nearly normal school year. Football teams would be practicing. Almost unbearable to contemplate. Four, five hours of Zoom today? So stumbled upstairs at 5.30 with a particular exhaustion, like my eyes, my actual three-dimensional eyeballs were sprained sore, sick of focusing and perceiving. At one point we had this webinar on how to use Zoom to broadcast your, your city council meeting, for instance. <laughs> and uh, we started the webinar and I was given the presentation and shortly after the presentation began, this voice comes on and it's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> then, then I figured out, oh, this, this guy joined. So I like booted him out. <laughs> and then, then, you know, like 20 seconds later, fuck you, fuck you, you little motherfucker. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was completely shocking. And one of the uh, participants in the web, webinar one of the viewers of the webinar uh, from a, a local municipality she says this is exactly why i wanted to attend this webinar um, because we want to prevent 
things like this from happening. This Zoom bombing. I had never heard of what Zoom bombing was, but here we are, you know, trying to paint ourselves as the experts, the experts of this technology <laughs> and this new phenomenon. We get hit by this new phenomenon of Zoom bombing during that webinar. It was so embarrassing. During that same webinar, we had this guy who just kind of came in, this, this old kind of biker looking dude, and he's like, the red ear turtle has a habitat that's very interesting. And he's just like reading <laughs> this like encyclopedia entry about nature or something. It was really bizarre. July 16th. Dreamt about Chicago. Theaters, crowded streets, cramped hotels. More than 75,000 new infections recorded in the U.S. today. A record. Mandatory mask law goes into effect at midnight tonight for Colorado. Let the clamor begin. 138,255 deaths and counting. July 17th. A dream where we were in Grandma Katie's house in Trinidad. Grandma had died of coronavirus. Mum pushed the cart with a large bag of Grandma's coagulated blood on it. I was scared the clots of blood would shake loose and infect us all. Message from the DPS this afternoon that the first day of school will be August 24th, 100% online. They will consider an in-person instruction no sooner than September 8th. A wise, but sad, but wise decision. July 23rd. I guess when it was late winter, early spring, and the trees were bare, and the wind was raw, and the snow came down, it felt like it would never end. Now it feels like it's always been midsummer, hot, cicadas, dead grass. The dirt is irredeemably dry and the romaine seeds I planted never germinated. This week I ripped out all the knee-high broccoli that never formed heads and planted chard, spinach, beets, romaine again. Faith in a seed. I can't go on, I must go on, etc. They say there is a comet visible in the northwest sky this week. A comet that will not get this close to Earth again for another 6,000 years but it's too cloudy to see it. This is certainly the greatest concentration of dull, sad mornings I've had in my life. Not sleeping well at night, but in the afternoons I take heavy blackout naps where I drop out of this universe and into the next, wake up confused and groggy, and stumble around in a numb veil for a few hours after. So what was the, like looking back at this whole year, what was the darkest most depressing time for you? Or like, what was the worst thing? Oh, well, seeing all the hospitals overloaded, you know, and the ambulances, and the uh, refrigerated van trailers full of bodies, you know? You know, that got, and that got other people, it got a lot of people's attention. A lot of, a lot of the Mexican people really paid attention to that. And I think African Americans too, because the people that were getting hit the hardest, really. But uh, you know, seeing what was going on in the intensive care and that, and ventilators, but really the bodies. Yeah, yeah. So, among among the people you know who thought COVID nineteen was a hoax. Did those images make any impact on them, like of the refrigerated trucks and the bodies and all that? Or 
Oh, oh yeah, somewhat, but they just uh, that this, this is pretty natural, and that this is something that uh, is going to happen. And older people, mainly, you know, so many of the people were older, sure. living in constricted areas, yeah, yeah. and that that was, uh, and that was kind of natural. But I mean, the same people that, you know, think that uh, the drought or the climate change is a cycle. July 25th. Carla came over for breakfast yesterday, and although I questioned her decision to come up from diseased Houston at a time when so many of us are canceling our trips, I was happy to see her. She told us about three townhomes in her subdivision that were destroyed by fire following a lightning strike. The back fence at the complex was subsequently hit by tornadoes, twice. We teased her that no wonder she felt safe traveling. A protective bubble is shielding her from immediate danger. She arrived at the house and went through the kitchen out to the backyard while I was still downstairs. Coming up, about three steps from the top, I could smell her perfume lingering in the air. Her shiny gold purse caught the light in the closed-up living room, perched on an empty bar stool in the dim. July 30th. Now that I'm suddenly not sleeping again, the nights become something different, protracted, ominous like an uncharted body of water daring me to cross it. Last night I was remembering some article I read about pre-pandemic life, about group gatherings, and the article said that so-and-so might be a thing of the past, so-and-so might never come back. Why? Is this fear of the next bat plus pangolin supervirus that might spring into being? Humans are fucking stupid and doomed, but I think we have a few hundred years ahead of us before we go extinct. Won't we be able to crowd mindlessly into a stadium before then? I thought, surely this is it. This, you know, co- when when. COVID hit, this is going to be it. This is going to be the event that's going to bring this country together, finally bring us together. And if anything, it further polarized us. I remember learning about, for instance, World War II, when World War II hit and how the whole country galvanized and got together behind the war effort. Um, You know, there there were food rations and all this kind of stuff. I, I and I thought maybe we might have a little glimpse of that kind of solidarity and unity in our country with COVID. And if anything, it was the absolute opposite. You know, we saw, what I saw was ramped up selfishness. I think it's because we've been warned for some years now that the majority is becoming the minority in the U.S., and so there's a certain level of people who feel threatened. And so there's this growing sense of threat from people who are the other, I guess, who don't look like you, have different color skin. And so I kind of look upon it as the white man's last stand, but I don't know where it's taking us. And it's very distressing. and. Um, Trump came along at a time when he knew how to exacerbate the situation, how to stir up people. He has that 
sort of snake oil salesman ability to stir people up. Do you feel like change is possible? Are we closer to actually having change, or is this just a cycle? I know I'm feeling pretty discouraged at the moment. Um, it's just a different time, as far as I'm concerned. It's much more, it's much more disconcerting and frightening. August 2nd. We should have been on a plane to Philadelphia. I think it was a 6 a.m. flight, so we would have been over Iowa by now. Instead, today we go to Glenwood. Last time we went anywhere, it was to Glenwood. It was the last weekend of February, two weeks before everything changed. August 4th, Glenwood Springs. Hiked partway up the Mount Sopras Trail today to a huge teal and green lake called Thomas. So few people on this side of the divide on a Tuesday, I felt genuinely charitable toward the people we did pass, instead of irritated and resentful. When we were leaving for the trailhead this morning, John noticed the American flag flying atop the Hotel Colorado was upside down. I took a photo, not remembering what it meant. Then John said, Well, we are certainly in distress. Just then we saw a man in a fluorescent vest standing at the base of the flagpole, up on the turret. He started bringing the flag down the pole to correct his mistake. August 6th, Glenwood Springs. Hiked another full eight miles today up Grizzly Creek, a lush river surrounded by thick vegetation and scrub oak and wild roses and raspberries. The trail terminated with a neat little turn right onto a beach covered with pale rocks, the water deep and smooth. I feel wonderfully tired. Hiking along today, when we're not talking, Des is always vocalizing, singing, muttering, humming. I love it. Tonight he had left his shoes in the car, so when we walked across the bridge to meet John, he had to wear my flip-flops. They were too large, but not by much. August 9th, back in Denver. August morning, tinge of smoke in the air, the light imbued with copper. A big fire is burning on the western slope. August 10th. Slept poorly, of course, due to excess wine. Woke up thinking about the miracle of life. Coronavirus on the one hand, the blue whale on the other. I know viruses are not exactly alive. Came outside to water and found every single one of my kale seedlings gone, eaten by rabbits. The cat barf I cleaned up had a rubber band in it. August 11th. A huge grass fire now burns near Grizzly Creek. 1,400 acres and growing right in that green valley where we were hiking a week ago. August 12th, Grizzly Creek fire continues to grow. I-70 closed in both directions. The weather forecast is relentless sun and humidity in the single digits. August 13th, the setting sun last night was lurid, magnificent, a glowing orange and pink ball. This morning it is hot orange as it rises. Everything is imbued with orange. The air smells of smoke. Pretty much all night, every night, we hear the screaming engines of drag racers on I-25. They evoke a weird thrill like a pack of howling coyotes. August 16th. It's near sunset now. There are two kinds of wildfire sunset. The bright, spectacular, unearthly kind and the dull, smothered, gray and mauve kind. This evening, it is the latter. Dull, pinkish-gray sky, and rather than wood smoke, the air smells like lighter fluid. 
August 19th. They speculate that the fire was started by a chain dragging from a vehicle. There were multiple ignition points along I-70, which remains closed. The fire is now 27,000 acres. It was hot and tough, that hike, steep. Des and I stopped frequently. The trail was dusty, the shade only intermittent. Twice when we were flagging, we discovered tiny, ripe, wild raspberries along the path. We called them power pills. We drank every drop of our water. Such a magical ending to the hike. A gentle turn to the left, a steep path down to a little beach covered with small, smooth stones, and the creek cold and clear, and an open view down the narrow valley. It's all burned now. Black. Ash. Blackout Time Passes is written and produced by Ellen Graham and co-produced by me. I also provided sound design and some editing. Ellen Graham writes plays, screenplays, and narrative nonfiction. Her work has been produced in Chicago, Columbus, New York City, and in her hometown of Denver. That's here where she's worked with many companies, including Buntport and Toto 2, Benchmark, Pandemic Collective, Paragon, and the Denver Center. She is the founder of Feral Assembly, a resident playwright and programming curator at Theater 29 Denver, a a co-founder of Shocking Beyond Belief Films, and a member of the Dramatist Guild of America. To learn more about Ellen and her work, please visit www.feralassembly.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us here at the show or anything else, you know Low Orbit is on all the social media places you'd expect. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at Low Orbit Podcast. And we'll be back next week with Episode 3 of Blackout Time Passes.